Beijing Winter Olympics started on February 4th among the voice of protest. A 28-second video in Beijing went viral. House passed a competition act targeting China on the same day of the Beijing Olympics. A think tank report from Beijing University was just offlined by the regime, which tells us there must be something in it that we have to see. Parents all over the countries, all over the country, acted to take over the school district, and we show you a San Francisco story. Welcome to Wei and Kathy show. As you can see, that Kathy is not here yet. She will be here a few minutes later. She's still rendering a video interview, and which is taking longer time. So um, Wei will be here and re reporting to you the news of the day first, and uh, she will give you a in more in-depth in interview that has to do with school district. Something's happening all across the nation. You may or may not have noticed, but it's very interesting. And what the story she will be bringing to you is sub something that is happening in the San Francisco. San Francisco, right? Yes, it's not really uh, just uh, left versus right and conservative versus liberal. No, it's about the parents and their children. So it's a very important topic. Stay tuned with us. Um, uh, okay, next we'll be talking about today is the Beijing Olympics. As you could imagine, uh, it's a big show. Okay, it is at uh, in the Beijing's uh, so-called national um, national sports uh, sports place. It's called the Bird Nest. As you can see, there's some firework there. 3,000 performers was performing the grand show and a lot of um, grandi firework, which kind of match what is um, what's like in the uh, 2008, the Beijing Olympics. Basically, they said they try to run a simple and a frugal and a safe and a splendid game per uh, Chinese um, president. I won't even call him president, okay? Sec General Secretary. Xi Jinping, All right, okay, and then the official number is that they would only spend uh, 3.9 billion dollars. Now the media has estimated that they have spent 10 times as much, 38.5 billion billion dollars. All right, so the firework they said is only 10 percent of that of uh, 2008, and the performer performers only the number of performers only stand at uh, 3,000 instead of the 15,000 in the 2008. I don't know who have watched the opening ceremony. I did not. I do not intend to play that for you because if you really want to see the top notch, the number one, you know, uh, like a, like a, how to say group show, group performing show in the world, you know, you should go to North Korea. They put the best show there. The reason very simple. Okay, for a totalitarian regime, they are best in putting best at putting this type of show. But to a free country like the U.S. or Australia or Canada or U.K., it's a different style. Okay, so I won't bother you um, with uh, showing all those grandier things where each individual is just like a, a Robert. Okay, so reporting to other Olympics-related news, well, t it's also three decades after CCP's troops crushed the massive dem democracy uh, demonstrations in Tiananmen Square, killing hundreds or perhaps thousands of Chinese, uh, Chinese people. The government now locked up more than one million members of its minority groups, mostly uh, Muslim U Uyghurs from its uh, far western Xinjiang region. Okay, mass in internship camps. So under this kind of, uh, with this kind of context, the Beijing Olympics is have this opening ceremony, and uh, the situation led human rights groups to dub the Olympics as the genocide uh, games. In the meantime, uh, dozens of human rights organizations organized a no Beijing 2022 pro protest event all across the U.S. Mainly they went to the, the in front of the Chinese embassy and its consulate in the U.S., condemning the terrible human rights record of Beijing. And in the meantime, Women's Right Without Frontier organized a the Genocide Games Task Force uh, but, and the task force is calling for shut down the uh, game and calling for people not to watch the, this year's Winter Olympics. As you know, dozens of countries boycotted, and then with some exception though, uh, the Russian president appeared to, uh, uh, came to attend the ceremony, but 
reporter cannot help noticing that he appeared to doze off during the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics. And as the Ukraine national team marched through the stadium, and the, the media title saying that uh, Putin is not a losing sleep over U Ukraine, Ukraine problems. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good title, right? And uh, okay, so most uh, recent uh, boycott came from India, which, which was actually considering having its top dip diplomat at its embassy in Beijing attend the games. However, when the Indian government learned that the Beijing picked uh, Colonel Chi Fa Bao, a PLA, People's Liberation Army um, Regimental Commander, who was seriously wounded in the 2020 clash between the Indian and the Chinese troops, as the Olympic uh, torchbearer, Indian changes position and uh, withheld this um, ambassadors to the ceremony and accused Beijing of politi politicizing the, the game. Actually, that's not really rare. Uh, Beijing also picked a member of the Uyghur ethnic minority as one of the final torch bearers. And um, as, as we all know, CCP's treatment of Uyghur is at the center of the US-led uh, diplomatic boycott of the game. And uh, well, the most uh, attention-catching story is the Dan Danish reporter being pushed away in front of the eyes of the world, okay? So Chinese officials could be seen in a viral video Friday attempting to end the live broadcast of a Dutch tele uh, television reporter at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. And uh, let's take a look. Oh, we have some, let's have some sound. This is a Chinese so-called volunteer, how to say, order keeper. Actually, if you, you know, if you have fun. That's the... Anyway, just 20, 20 second uh, uh, video. All right, so basically he was just reporting there live, right? And then somebody come over and uh, he said, uh, come on, come on, move, move it, move it, okay? And uh, basically, and he said, I'm doing live broadcasting. And the, the, the guy keep pushing, pushing him. Actually, not just the guy. There are three people uh, near him and at least uh, one people near the camera. They were just uh, also trying to, try to, how to say, uh, move the cameraman. So, and uh, this, uh, the, the whole process, the, the whole, how, how to say, experience was uh, re video re taped, of course, and then it's just spread all over the world and uh, created a big uproar in, in the internet. And... Um, and so the Danish, um, this is a Danish station, NOS, NOS Journal, and he tweeted that our correspondent was pulled away from the camera by security guards at 12 p.m. live in the NOS Journal. And uh, he said, unfortunately, this is increasingly becoming a daily reality for journal journalists in China. He's fine, or reporter, he's fine and was able to finish his story a few minutes later. Okay, so that, that, those people, right? The, if you look at, if you know Chinese, you, you, you notice what, what they're wearing here is saying the volunteer. They're not a volunteers, they're policemen. They, they could even PLA soldiers, okay? And the P, CCP is very good at sending their troops and dressing as plain clothes and keeping order and then claiming they're volunteers. This is like a, in the North Korea, North Korea War, remember? The Korea War in 1950. The army, the army from China, their name is called the Chinese, um, Chinese People's Volunteer Troops. They're not a volunteer. They're just sent by the, by the party. This is the party, party's way of doing things. So actually, to the, to the journalist from, uh, from Dutch, they still haven't, haven't figured out why they, they, they were forced to move. The place is, uh, they are not interfering anyone. They are just journalists who are supposed to be able to pick any place and do their broadcasting. This is the freedom of press. Actually, freedom, freedom of press was well, clearly, clearly designated as a right 
uh, in the Chinese constitution. Actually, yesterday, the uh, former sec uh, assistant secretary of the U.S. in the Trump administration, and uh, David Stilwell, uh, wrote me a question. He said, uh, what do you think was the relationship between the Chinese constitution and the state and the party? What's the role of that? The constitution seems to be written very well. And I said, yes, uh, it has nothing to do with the state and nothing to do with the party. The Chinese constitution is only for cosmetic. Okay, nobody respects constitution whatsoever because People's Republic of China need a document called constitution. Every nation does. So they wrote up something very beautiful. It's no less, how to say, decent or accommodating or tolerant um, than the U.S. Constitution. The only difference is nobody pay any attention to it. It serves no use, have no position. And uh, so likewise, in this case, the poor journalist did not even know why. He still cannot figure out why, why they push, push me away. They just have their own arbitrary rule, arbitrary thing. Maybe it's too dark there. They're going to convey a, a dark image of Beijing, so they have to move him. So this is um, just like uh, what the station said. Unfortunately, this has increasingly become the daily re reality of the, of the journalists working in China. We're too used to that. Okay, so so much for the uh, Beijing Olympics report, and I, I, I guess no surprising to you, uh, but um, this is... Um, yeah, this is what this world is allowing. Beijing claiming that uh, don't meddle politics with, uh, don't mix politics, politics with, uh, how to say, uh, with the Olympics, with the sports, want to talk about the boycott. And in the meantime, the CCP is turning, completely turning the Winter Olympics into a political show. All right, it's just such a shame. That's why I call it shame-laden, the shame-laden Olympics. Okay, so... Uh, four days ago, um, a think tank report published by the Institute of International Strategic Study, IISS, of Beijing University, which is the top university in, in China, and uh, was pu published online, and it's called, the, 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 the report is titled um, Sino-U.S. Strategic Competition in Tech Domain, Analysis and Prospect. All right, so three days later, it was forced to to be forced offline, okay, because that's triggered the nerve of the, of the regime. Unfortunately, well, it has been out there for three days, so there's enough, the people got a copy, and, uh, and uh, there's enough um, um, content of that leaked out. So the very reason that the party tried to force that, uh, want to, you know, just offline the report is worth our talking about it, all right? Let me just give you some quick summary of that um, of that report, which actually match match way, okay, Wei Fang, my, my name's Wei Fang, match Wei's uh, own opinion, okay. Basically, it did a um, objective, in my opinion, analysis of the scenario, competition scenario between China and the U.S. It have a, a few findings or conclusions. First, after U.S. and China decoupled in technology, both will be harmed, but. Uh, whether it's in the on the technology side or on the manufacturer side, China will be hurt way uh, worse than U.S., okay? And in the three major areas, China will lagging behind or even um, enter a state of uh, vacuum. This is a vacuum that basically just no technology is available. What are they? Three main things. One is the chip manufacturing. You think China, of course, they, they, they got a chip manufacturer but it's about uh, five to 10 years behind the US or Taiwan or South Korea. The second is artificial intelligence. And you think they are, they're, they're leading? They're not leading, okay? The university only started training AI students three years ago, while US, we, we probably got a 30-year history. And then the third, uh, the think tank IISS report said that it's the IT information technology. It's, and all these three areas will face serious bottleneck. And the report said China only leading in some small areas. However, um, industry like uh, IT, after the U.S. and China decoupled, and it's, it will face huge impact. And uh, the third point is uh, China is very lacking on the basic science research, like materials. Okay, Pretty much over the years, China mainly imported all kinds of components, and the parts, and then China's job was integrating, 
in integration. Okay, when the U.S.-China really decoupled in technology, China fell into big trouble because China really does not have its own scientific, uh, um, a strong science and technology industry. It's mainly the integration one. The fourth one has to do with uh, human resource. Okay, and the report said if the system, if the system of China does not change, it's hard to have outstanding people, outstanding, outstanding talents. And uh, it says the progress of the technology, progress of the economy and the civilization has to happen in an open society. And uh, for a totalitarian society, it's impossible to have such progress. And it can only um, um, backstep. And actually, as a matter of fact, in the, in, the, in the past few years, China was able to steal or hire away many top semiconductor talents from Taiwan. But after they left the environment of Taiwan and went to China with much, much bigger pay, they actually they, they, they failed to perform. For whatever reason, they failed to perform after losing a creative environment. Okay, the report further said, depending on the big labor and the big domestic um, market, China was able to pass through a smooth and fast developing phase. But China never resolved the creation and a top-notch technology issue. The fifth is that um, there's so much waste, okay? And up to September 2020, this is, uh, you know, two years ago, there were simply 140 chip design companies registered and uh, well started, basically. And then, so in that sense, it's like a big leap, big leap. If you remember that big leap was in the late 1950, where the CCP was determined to catch up with the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, on the steel production, steel, okay? And then that uh, campaign, big, uh, great leap campaign, failed miserably, all right? So the think tank reports is saying that we're seeing the same thing happening here. And those uh, chip design company or chip manufacturing, manufacturing company bankrupt one after another. Uh, one typical one is called Wuhan Hongxing Semiconductor, uh, corporation HSMC. They claim that they're going to attract, um, how to say, uh, 128 billion Chinese dollars, renminbi, as investment. But after three and a half years, it went bankrupt. And another one is called Jinan Quanxing. It's called a Quanxing uh, Integrated Circuit uh, Manufacturer Corporation. And then it lasts for 2.5 years. But then before that, they, they stole, they, they lured away 180 top-notch Taiwanese semiconductor engineers. And they pay them a monthly salary of a 50 to 10,000 RMB, which is about, let me do the translation, which would be about um, 100,000 100, to 200,000 US dollars annual salary. In China, that's, that's, that's huge, okay? In Taiwan, it's also huge. Uh, but they failed to perform, and then the company folded. So now China is very, still very short of talents, and uh, the people who went to U.S. study and work there, fewer and fewer of them are, are coming back. They're called Hai Gui Pai, or coming back from overseas. And now most people are staying, staying in the U.S. And then, okay, and they said the number is that the top-notch AI talents um, for the, for, for, for that China grow, only 34% are willing to stay in China, 56% already decided to migrate to the U.S. For the Chinese citizens trained, uh, but in the U.S., went through U.S. college, universities, or, or postgraduate schools, 88% of them chose to stay um, in the U.S. Only 10% are willing to return to work in China. So, yeah, so with the China seems to be rising strong, or the CCP, actually the report is telling the truth. That's why it was offline. Um, CCP become overconfident. And that's, they, they're gonna, they basically, they will dig out their own tomb because they, when they become overconfident, they make a wrong decision, okay? They show their true face too early, but which is a good thing, okay? But uh, they, indeed, they show them too early. They're gonna attract a lot of reaction and then they're going to find all, all the bubble will burst. And then the next piece of news is House of Representatives on Friday passed the American Competes Act of 2022 to increase the U.S. economic competitiveness with China. 
And uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said uh, that it was designed to keep America number one. And that act was passed uh, 222 to 210, largely the partisan vote on the same day of the Beijing Olympics. Okay, so I think that's, that, that, is, that was intentional. Uh, the legislation included a 52 billion chip fund to bring semiconductor fabrication back to the U.S. and address supply chain disruption and uh, caused by the uh, pandemic. And also $45 billion investment to ensure critical goods are made in the U.S. rather than relying on, upon China. And the Republican did not vote for it except one, and then they criticized the act being too soft. Um, in the Senate, in the Senate, it, there was a bipartisan bill that was passed, and on the chip fund, just along, uh, the Senate said we need to spend $250 billion, while the House said $50 billion, $52 billion. It's about five times difference. So now the House and the Senate needs to hash out the differences between the two uh, competing bills in the conference uh, committee. So we'll see how that goes along. But this is one of the rare areas that uh, we have a bipartisan support. And um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. In, in short, okay, Wei's opinion is this. China showing, not China, CCP, when they show their true face, it trigger everybody and, and wake up everybody, and including U.S. So we, are, we rise up, we enter the competition, but in China, in that kind of controlled environment, there's really no true innovation. So actually, it's not the U.S. is deciding to decouple with China, it's, it's the CCP that decided to do so, out of arrogance. So they're digging their own tomb, they're buried themselves. Let's just give it another three to five years, we shall see that. Welcome to the show, Kathy. All right, thank you. Okay, I've been doing this monologue for 20 minutes, I guess. So, Kathy, what, uh, I, I told everybody that um, you know, school, something's happening to the school board across the country. So tell us about what's happening. Right, so uh, the potential recall of the three school board members in San Francisco has captured the national headlines. I don't know, have you noticed that? Because a lot of uh, political observers are closely watching the recall because they are curious if parents who are upset over those uh, pandemic education policies will be a major factor in the upcoming state and the national election. So, you know, this is going to be a kind of a test, uh, a test. So I talked to one of the parents who initiate the recall effort to find out. So um, the parents called uh, Autumn Lohan, uh, Lohan and uh, she and uh, he, her husband, Siva Raj, moved to San Francisco in the end of uh, 2019 with uh, five kids total from each of the, their previous marriage. They both have high-tech backgrounds and uh, was planning to start up a high-tech company together. But soon, they found out themselves devoted to a political campaign which they have never done before. And uh, just uh, the effort is to recall three of the school board members in San Francisco. They gathered over 80,000 signatures, and, uh, which is 60% uh, more than required and successfully put the recall on ballot when the election will be held 10 days later on February 15th. We have already received the ballots. So um, the campaign has since received uh, 46 to 1 donated funding against the opponents. And the San Francisco School Board recall is only one of the 91 recalls around the nation in 2021, which as you can see, broke the record. So why is that? What's the impact of such recall process to you know, parents, to the average fellow Americans? And why this recall is taking national attention? What is the biggest challenge and the lessons for the parents as well as other fellow Americans? So let's, here's my interview with Autumn and let's find out. Yeah, so when Shiva and I moved to San Francisco together, um, because of shared custody, I have kids in Los Altos School District, 
and his kids were in the San Francisco school district. So in our own family, we saw the difference it made to have kids in online learning versus kids who were able to go to school in person. And what we found was that my kids who were able to go to school in person had a really much better experience than Shiva's kids who were at home falling behind, um, feeling depressed. And it was heartbreaking to see the difference when this public health guidance said that it was safe for kids to return to see that so many students in San Francisco were still struggling. We also were really frustrated to see that the school district didn't seem to be able to get its act together to even make a plan to reopen. Um, I think it's really important, like education is so important, the last thing you want is incompetent people in charge. And it seems like in decision after decision, they were just not not making competent, smart decisions that they should have been making. Give us some example you felt those uh, Board of Education members uh, made uh, incompetent decisions, as you mentioned. Yeah, so one example is the school renaming. Um, they were they wanted to rename schools based on research they did at Wikipedia. They often got the name wrong or the history wrong, but they were going to rename them anyway. Um, even when people brought it up at the meeting, hey, you're trying to rename this one, but there's historical error, 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 this person didn't actually do that. They were totally unwilling to remove those schools from the list. And But the bigger issue for me is that they were having these arguments at a time when kids were really struggling with distance learning. That time could have been spent trying to reopen the schools or trying to improve distance learning, which both would have had much bigger impact on the future of our kids than the name of their schoolhouse door. The renaming, it was uh, actually a couple of years ago, but uh, how do you think the impact of it and uh, how it reflected in this uh, petition for the recall? I think a lot of people were just shocked to see that they wanted such a large number of schools renamed with such poor scholarship and that the um, the people who were on the Board of Education were voting to rename the schools without caring whether historians were involved, without caring whether the facts they're basing their decisions on were accurate or not. And I think, you know, I've been a part of renaming efforts some other places, but they were done much better. It's, um, I think the important part of a renaming effort is having a conversation with the community about what type of person we want to, to honor and, you know, deciding, um, like, so that, that conversation changes the way you see people. And it's important to have that conversation rather than just to have a top-down change. Because if you do the top-down change, you change the name above the door. But everyone at the school hasn't, hasn't had the chance to look at history in kind of a nuanced and complex way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fine. I think these, these conversations need to happen at the school community level. And at the school community can decide whether, you know, who, whether they want to keep or rename their school. But I also think that um, we can learn a lot by looking at the people we're honoring and in, like, in all their facets, right? So the, the good and the bad, because if, you, if your criteria for naming someone after someone is that they have to be perfect, I mean, what message does that send to our kids, right? That, you know, they make one small mistake and then like they can never like be someone worthy of being honored, right? I think we all have things we've done well and have things we've, we've been ashamed of. And it's important to look at the whole of the person when you're deciding who you want to honor. Then comparing to what's needed uh, by the students and the, the parents, um, that's why you feel it, they went just, they are not just... Yeah, I mean, they were hardly talking about... Um, distance learning or reopening schools, they would be the last item on the agenda. And so when they were renaming schools, that was hours of precious board time that they were spending on renaming instead of how to either get kids back in school or make sure that distance learning was working. I mean, they lost track of 8,800 kids during the pandemic and nobody know like, were they learning? No. Um, and that makes kids fall behind and that changes their whole life trajectory if, if they can't graduate or if they're if they're like if they're not prepared for life that's way more important than renaming a couple of schools you mentioned that this uh, lower high school admission uh, policies uh, actually that really impacted uh, especially a lot of uh, asian kids but also i think overall is one of the main reasons that a lot of uh, parents signed the petition 
right, to recall yeah. them. Yeah, so, um, but the, the Board of Education, they said that's one of their priority, trying to fix the racial inequity. How do you take? Well, I think it's really a complicated situation. And the root cause of the problem is that we only have one Lowell. If we had enough seats at a good school for everyone who wanted to go there, that would be the best way to solve this problem so that every kid would have access to great teaching, great, great AP classes. Every kid who wants to have that kind of like fire hose of information pointed at them would be able to get that. Um, and that's how I'd like to see them solve it long term rather than having us all fight over like the same piece of pie, right? Mm -hmm. These three Board of uh, uh, Education members, when they said, explain why they should not be recalled that you know they said they are focusing so much on the uh, equity issue the racial you know, racial racism issue how do you think you know as a member of the board of education should that be their most uh, highest priority or what's what do you think their highest priority should be I would say if their highest priority is equity, then they should be looking at what actually improves outcomes for the kids in the school district. Um, they're focusing on all this symbolic stuff, changing the names of the schools and, and changing the admissions policy, when what they should actually be doing is making sure our kids can read, making sure our kids can do math. If you look at the percentage of our kids who are able to do math or read at grade level, it is sad. You know, why are we not pouring resources and board time into that? You know, the board only has a limited amount of time where they can meet together and they should be laser focused on improving the outcomes for our kids, not on the symbolic stuff. You gathered many more than uh, the required uh, signatures. So what are the most overwhelming responses uh, from those people who signed the petition? People were really eager to sign. In fact, we had so many people say, oh, I think I voted for these guys, but I really want them out now that I know who they are. So that was really heartening to see. We were in every neighborhood in the city and every neighborhood in the city wants these uh, people out of office. Every neighborhood in the city, we had parents of all backgrounds signing the petitions and um, thanking us for being out there. When we had professional signature gatherers helping us out so that we could be more available to people, they came back to us and they're like, People are thanking us. This never happens, right? Um, I think the city is just so glad to have people working to get better schools. Those opponents of the recall, they are talking about uh, how, you know, some of the billionaires' money behind this uh, recall effort. What do you say to that? Um, I would say that our, our group has gotten donations from over 1,700 people in San Francisco are, um, it's, it's, we had our donations capped at $99 for the first few months. And we have, a, you know, a wider, don like, and it's largely from San Francisco. Over 83% of our donations are from people in San Francisco, which is far larger than the share of uh, our opponent's money that comes from San Francisco. Um, we are, there are billionaires who have donated to our campaign. There are VCs and they understand how important it is for kids to get an education. I'm not surprised that people who are in technology think it's important for every child to get a good education because they want kids to grow up and build amazing things and they can't do that if they don't get the education to support that. I think it's one of those fundamental things of our society to have a good education for kids. And so that's why you're seeing so many people from across the entire political spectrum come out in force supporting this. This recall had garnered uh, uh, national attention. You know, in couple of uh, what's happened in Virginia, parents really played an important role to elect a new governor in Virginia. Now people turning attention uh, to the school board recalls to find out, you know, whether the parents would become a major force in the upcoming midterm election and maybe the presidential election down the road. So. Yeah, just by, based on your experience, how do you think the, the force of the parents in these type of elections? I think parents are all really motivated to make sure their kids have a great education and a great start in life. Every parent wants that. Every parent wants to know that their kids will have the, a fair shot at succeeding and that all they have to do is work hard. Um, and I think when people in office 
ignore that when they don't take care of the people that they were elected to serve, especially when it's our kids. They should expect to have some sort of backlash from people and who want to have people in place who will do their jobs and make sure our kids can learn. Because there's nothing more important to a parent than the future of your child. The recalling of the Board of Education has been increasing a lot in the past year, in 2021, comparing to any previous years. So what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of families were suffering under COVID and um, the schools, we, you know, were supposed to help, right? They were supposed to make sure that our kids could still learn even during the pandemic. And I think a lot of them just failed to do that. I, um, it's really hard as a parent to see your children suffering. And so there, and in places where the school board just didn't listen to parents, um, people got very frustrated because when you're in pain and some, nobody's coming to help you, um, that's just how you feel. And so we were trying to, um, in, in a lot of the country, um, you've seen like parents rising up and try to change their school boards to get people who are more responsive in place. And, you know, you see this, that our school board was treating treating parents badly, not only for the renaming, but also for the Lowell decision, where they took a very complex issue and they just pushed something through in five days that didn't actually solve the problems that they're trying to solve. How do you think this whole process, the significance or the impact of this process will have on the overall uh, situation of the, you know, the education in San Francisco? Well, I hope it sends a message to people that they need to do their job and that we really, really care that our kids are educated, that they because we want them to have the best possible shot for the future. You know, when kids fall behind and get frustrated in school and they um, they drop out and then we all lose out. We lose out on not only on not only like financially, because those kids aren't making as much money as they otherwise would have. But every kid has their unique contribution to give to the world. And when they drop out of school, when they don't get the education they need, we all lose out on the, the amazing things they would have put in the world that now won't happen. So in this uh, process, so what's the most challenging thing for you? This is this is something that we've never done before, right? We've, we've worked in startups before, but we've never run a political campaign. And so having to learn everything from scratch is both incredibly fun and incredibly challenging, you know, because we haven't done it before, you know, we make, we make the occasional mistake and we're like, oh, that was embarrassing, right? Um, I think a lot of the stuff that's been challenging is that there are, um, you know, the people on the, on the other side of the issue, um, I totally respect their, you know, their right to disagree, but at the same time, they spew a lot of vitriol online. And I think that it doesn't affect me that much, but it, it tells me there's a reason why we're having trouble finding good candidates, not just for the school board, but in other offices in San Francisco. And it's because anyone who's, who's going to step into a public role has this kind of trial by fire that they have to go through. And we're not teaching people how to deal with that. We're not teaching people how to handle it when people are attacking your personal life online. Wow. So what's your lesson you would like to share with others in this aspect? Oh, yeah. So there's, there's one, one thing that's like super helpful to me. And that is when I see someone making a personal attack on me online, I have to remember that this is, um, I have to almost celebrate it. Although that sounds weird, mm-hmm. um, but it means that they've run out of good arguments, right? The only reason people go to personal attacks is because they don't have a single good argument against you. And so if they're making personal attacks, it means you've already won. So you look from the other aspect uh, as uh, as positive thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think when you frame it that way for yourself, it's a lot easier to handle the, um, you know, the stuff that random people are going to say online that you don't even know. Yeah, and uh, so for the the lot of the parents, you have volunteers, um, workers. So uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, the most thing you would remember from them? I think the most amazing thing for me is how much parents care about their kids' education. When we started this, we didn't know anyone in the city. And we announced You were new to the city, by the way, right? Yeah, yeah, we'd been here, what, two months at that point. And so it was 
we we didn't know anyone. It was the middle of COVID. You know, we were we were under lockdown the first month we were here, right? So we're like, we're gonna start this political campaign. We don't know anyone. How are we gonna get volunteers, right? So we we uh, announced our campaign, and within a week we had like eight thousand people on our mailing list and a thousand people in our Facebook group who were there to help. And that was just incredible to see everyone rallying together. And in fact, the way we've been able to run the campaign, even though we don't know anything about politics, is because whenever we needed help with something, we would just go to the Facebook group and say, we don't know how to do this thing. Um, would you help us? And so the right person has always stepped up. It's been amazing to see so many dedicated, smart people stepping up to help us with whatever needed getting done. Um, and. I think that for me, it really gives me hope for the future of the San Francisco schools that so many people are invested in making sure they work. We have all these brilliant people who really, really, really want to be sure that our schools are um, are successful for all of the kids. So for yourself, after this endeavor, the first time, you know, in the public uh, uh, political campaign, would you step into this area more, even maybe run for Board of Education? Well, I can't do that because I have split custody, and so my kids are in Los Altos half the, um, half the time. And who, if you're running for office here, you need to be in the city. So that's not in the cards for me. But I think um, Shiva and I were, are both really invested in making sure the schools have good leadership going forward. And we're definitely going to help make sure that we have good leadership in place. You know, really want to get the schools back on track and make sure they're serving all the kids well. And we're, you know, we're kind of in that fight for the long term. I see. So what I would really like to do is find people who would be really good at running the schools and teach them how to handle the political campaign stuff. Because running, an, running a campaign well and winning an election is very different from governing the schools. It's like two different sets of skills. And so what I'd like to do is find people who are good at you know, governing and good at making those hard decisions and give them the skills they need so they can make it past the gauntlet of the election. What is was your background? I'm, um, I'm from tech. I was a computer programmer for years. Um, when I was a kid, I used to like knock on doors and get donations for the environment. But I haven't done anything political like in, in years, really, right? So um, I'm a parent and yeah, that's about it. Oh, wow. So you are a tech person. A lot of, uh, you know, our audience are tech person people. And so, and I understand Shiva is also in technology, right? Yeah, yeah. Our original plan was to start a startup together, actually. Oh. But, yeah, but this was more important. Uh-huh. So you pushed the plan, like, further back? Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. So lastly, anything else you would uh, like to share with the audience? You know, we have audience in San Francisco, in California, but also around the country. I think it's really, Im okay, first of all, for people in San Francisco, please return your ballot. Um, I want you to vote yes on all three recalls and return your ballot as soon as you can, because that would be a huge help to making sure that the schools get the change they need. And for people across the country, um, I just want to remind people that there are some things that are worth fighting for, even if you think they're impossible. When we started this, people told us that it was impossible to get a recall on the, on the ballot in San Francisco. It hadn't been done in 38 years. Now the thresholds were higher. There was no way it was going to be happening. And we decided that our kids were so important to us that they were worth standing up for, even if we failed. And sometimes when you take a stand like that, you make something possible that hadn't been possible before. And you really can make a difference. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you, Autumn, to share with us. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So in another, like, in two, 10, 11 days, that's the election day for San Franciscans to decide whether they will recall these uh, three school board members. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have two, two takeaways uh, from this. First, as you can see, Autumn, right? She's a uh, common people, common citizen. She was a programmer. And, uh, you know, she may be a startup entrepreneur, but she, she's really somebody. She's very t uh, brilliant. I think there are a lot of Americans like her who is able to, you know, pull off something big if he or she just decide to do so. And it's just we, often too, you know, too... Just too often, we just mind our own business, our own startup, our own business, our own thing. And then we give our kids to school, 
and um, and we thought that that they would take care of the, the kids. And then until we found out, no, until the pandemic came, and at home we watched them how they learn online or how they did not learn online. So there's a lot of capable, brilliant Americans among us who can do this. Maybe you know you are one of them. This is the first thing. The second thing is uh, parents really had it enough. Right, Kathy. That's yeah. Good. Well, I think when the thing, the issues、uh, relates to kids, you know, who are the future of the parents, it really will tick parents off. You know, if they are just, you know, yeah, they feel it's just so important. Like Autumn said, even they, some people may tell them it's impossible, they will still have a fight.、Mm-hmm. And, and I want to do a survey here, okay, for for those of you folks out there. Do you think? Do you see that school district, school board, shall be the first so-called battle battlefield、um, for getting our how to say America back? Because as kids keep graduating, those、uh, kids essentially they they become liberal voters. They're going to vote our country away, and then if we don't take care of kids, we don't take care of our country. So school district is close enough. It is、um, not as challenging, and it has to do with our basically our children. So, do you think that the school district, the school board, shall be the first battlefield for people, common people, to really focus on winning back、uh, America?、Um, yeah. Yeah, as already said, reply complete, complete battlefield everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you when you see the chart. Showing, you know, from two thousand nine basically to up to this year, the numbers of the recall of school board members it just it, it tripled、uh-huh. than the previous any、right. previous year. Yeah, I think you can already tell. Yeah, and then in 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 actually this year, see what is there. Yeah, it's already only one month, right?、Uh-huh. Is it going to surpass last 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 year for a reason, for a good reason? Because we're losing our kids, and、uh, okay. So what else? And Holly said,、uh, get rid of the school unions.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, you know, I I received this because、uh, we are San Francisco、um, residents, and、uh, here I receive this. It's a no recall. Okay, and、uh, the who who mailed it? The supporter. One of the supporter is the SEIU ten twenty one. What is that? Candidate pack. That's a union. Okay, the yeah. union. Yeah. So. Well. Okay, so I agree, and、uh, so Hollis also said、uh, a joke, please. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Are I, you prepared? I did not prepare for that, but this the following joke works very well with Chinese people, but with Americans it may or may not. Let me tell this. Okay,、um, there's a there's a mother mouse, okay, try to lead his,、uh, I'm sorry, her seven kids, okay. To school, <laughs> to school. <laughs> Kid mouse. Yeah, yeah. The, the mother mouse was leading seven little mice、uh, to the school, and、uh, so they came out of the, their little mouth hole and was、uh, very carefully,、um, you know, taking the how to say the side of the road and then to the school dis- school district because it's a dangerous journey, right? There's a lot of cats around there. Okay, suddenly, a big fat cat stopped them. And、uh, the cats just look at the mother mouse and the little little mice, and、uh, thinking that she's gonna have a great dinner. What do you think the mouse should do? Then what should what they do? They should run away, right?、Mm-hmm. No, Usually, no, no, no.、Yeah. The mother mouse did not take you know back up at all. She actually stepped forth and stared into the eyes of the cat. Oh, that's a bear. Mother mouse. <laughs> yeah, that's a bold one. And、yeah. then, and suddenly, she said, "Woo!" <laughs> and, barked. Yeah, they barked, and oh, the the cat really got startled, right? It never saw a mouse would just bark, and then just she was scared and ran away. Okay, so the mouse turned around. The mother mouse turned around, and having the little mice just sitting there, all sitting there. Okay, behave yourself. I'm gonna give you a very important. Lesson of the life, before we, you know, get to the school. Oh, what's that? So after the little, little, little mice all sitting there, you know, with their hand in their in their back. This is in China classroom, okay. And the mother mouse, very, very carefully tell them. Now, kids, 
you know the importance of learning foreign language, right? <laughs> Actually, as a matter of fact, I think in American schools, people do not care as much as learning foreign language. But in China, learning English is something, you know, everybody knows that is utter. Most important thing. Yeah, and it just as they start to learn English at a younger and a younger age. Yeah. Yeah. But now, until now, until um, how does the Secretary General Xi is uh, stopping that because he's, he he found the birth rate is very low, and he think that the the reason is because of uh, uh, the house is too expensive and the after school after school school is too expensive. That's why the parents does not want to give and and you know, more. more does not give birth more more kids, mm -hmm. so he think let's let's just uh, squeeze open uh, well burst the bubble of the housing and then how to say um, penalize and disallow and then remove the after school school okay that kind of thing and the complementary schools, so um, he just think he can he control people's life, and now it create a very very strange and. Uh, Peculiar situation in China, where when you find a tutor, personal tutor at mm -hmm. home, police could kick open the door and, and and just come to censure you or maybe arrest you by learning English. It become a crime. Yeah. So in China under CCP, you never know. You know something you do is okay is uh, legal today, and the next day it's gonna be illegal. Yeah. So that's you know always happen under Chinese communist regime. Yeah, never have them come to the U.S. This is our own country, okay? Free country. Let's keep it free. All right. So I saw uh, Hollis liked your joke. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, and Ting Ting has uh, another reading of yeah. the joke. Don't mess, mess with, with the mama mouse. <laughs> what a good commentary. Match up the topic of today very well. Yes. All right. Okay. All right. So don't, don't don't mess up with mother mouse. They're they're courageous. They are bold and they're intelligent. All right, All thank right. you for staying with us. Sorry for the you know being late, and uh, but Kathy um, pulled it off, and uh, okay. All right. Good so, night. Yeah. Take care. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Yeah. We'll see you next. See week. you again. Bye bye. Bye bye.